It's time for the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stress, and I know whether you're starting a small business, you're a solopreneur, or a leader in a large company, you need to collaborate with people. I want to help you make those collaborations fulfilling, productive, and as profitable as possible. So every Monday morning, we'll drop a new podcast episode to do just that. So let's get into today's discussion. Welcome everybody back for another podcast in Leadership Lifestyle Family. So today I want to talk to you about the hidden productivity killer, something that really drives your team to a halt if it's not handled the right way, if you're not setting the right culture table. And you may think, well, this probably might not even be calculatable, if that's a word, calculable, to really understand how it affects your team, how it stops growth, how it stops collaboration. And and when you really focus on this as a leader, you really have to understand one important thing, and that is how you run your team, the environment you set, that culture. You are the thermostat for your team's culture productivity. There's just no other way to talk about it. It's you. You're the leader. You're the one that makes all of that happen. So when you're not focused in the right way, that really drives your team down. And I'm talking about things you ignore, things you allow to go on. So arguably the the most important trait in a leader, got to be the most important, is building trust with your people and with your team. And without it, good luck on building a future with your team or any other concepts. You know, John John Maxwell was 100% right about they got to believe in you before they believe you they believe in your message. So how do you do that? So before you think about creating a highly functional and productive team and helping others build their careers, they have to trust you. And building trust takes a lot of time, or does it? I mean, have you ever thought about trust issues between you and your team or your team with you as the leader kills productivity? I mean, most everybody knows the old saying, it takes years to build trust, but only seconds to break it. And there's a lot of truth to that. But to build a long, deep bond of trust, it does take years. But the most relationships you're going to have are actually built in seconds. And certainly the ones at work are built in seconds. And you may be thinking, well, how do you build trust in seconds? Is there a magic trick to this? Some kind of acronym to remember? Jedi mind trick? But it's not really any of those things. There's no trick. And by the way, if you're a leader and you're thinking in your head about how do I trick my team? How do I get them? You're you're doing yourself a disservice and it's going to blow up in your face because people are a lot smarter than you think and they catch on to something like that. So think of all the people in your life. So coworkers, friends, your family members. How do you filter what you share with them? And more importantly, why do you filter what you share with them? I mean, have you ever really thought about just that? I know you do it instinctively, but there's a reason behind that. So, you know, you could say it's related to trust issues, but how did you develop that? How people behave with each other in the moment, how they react, either overreacting, not caring, blowing up at the air, meaning not at you, but at the situation. This is what I call all of this is what I call building a response code with another person. It's pretty easy to spot behaviors that kill productivity. But when 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 you think about all the people you interact with, there's a reason you interact with them the way you do, whether it's very easygoing and you share everything and you have no hesitations or you're limited 
could be based on their position up or down. I mean, how many leaders feel like, oh, well, so-and-so is three levels down for me. I don't need to share stuff with them. And what kind of response code are you building with that person with you? And you certainly can't expect that person to want to share anything the other direction. So you know, as I say each of these, you probably can immediately think of a person that you've experienced something like this with. So think about what I like to call three weak leadership types. So the marshmallow. This is the person that is in a leadership role, but is so worried about pleasing everybody. And the second you bring an issue to them, the very first response that they have is, well, okay, come on, let's look at the bright side, or maybe they didn't mean it that way. Or, you know, they're, they're, it's one thing to mediate an issue wanting to look at all sides, but this person, this marshmallow is wanting to really just like, they just want it to go away. They, they, they just, oh, let's, you know, let's calm down. Let's not, they don't like conflict. You know, that's your typical marshmallow. So the second one is what I call the deep fake. And this, you know, in, in years past, what always called the Peter principle, meaning they were probably given a position, promoted to a position, they really, they, they finally got to a place that they're not prepared for. And everybody kind of knows it. They're faking it. They, they, they really don't know what they're doing. They shouldn't be there. All of those things. And unfortunately, a lot of times in companies is they, once they make a decision, they don't want to have to remove that person if, if the work is getting done. And unfortunately, a lot of those scenarios, the work is getting done by other people and not that leader and certainly not because of that leader. But since the numbers look good and all that a lot of times companies won't and I certainly don't want to see companies just cut people loose left and right if if one little thing's going wrong I, you know that's not a good culture either but I think you know what I'm talking about when you have somebody you report to that clearly is out of their league and uh, that can be really frustrating and the last one is the author the authoritarian which to me is actually really weak leadership because I mean how easy it is to bark orders. And, 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 you know, just demand things and all of that, all of that. But um, that to me is lazy. They don't really, really try to help somebody. It's just all about the work. And there are certain points of the job where that type of leadership is necessary, but it should be very limited, very limited. And you really only can go there if you've taken the time to build trust. So those are the three weak leadership types that I've seen. So uh, gossip, Obviously, that's, that is so huge of a, of a killer of productivity. And how, how oftentimes have you seen that people play out, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, meaning that one person who's not there that day is the target. And everybody, everybody knows that. And here's the thing, when you're gossiping with other people about other people, they instinctively know that's who you are. I mean, if, how many people do you know? You want to know something, you know exactly who to call in the office um, that knows everything else and is totally willing to gossip about everything. You're really selling yourself short. You think, uh, you know, you're this person that's connecting with everybody and you know everything and you know, you know everybody's dirty laundry and all of that. But over time, people will want to get far away from you because they know they're next and that's not good. The other issue with gossiping is a lot of times we don't think we are because everybody has that one friend. It's funny, I was working for this company once and they always got frustrated because they're like, how do they know who we were going to promote before we promoted them? Because they really tried to keep that under their hat until they actually did it, which makes a lot of sense. But even the person promoting has that one friend that they say, well, you know, next Thursday, keep it under your hat, but we're going to tell so-and-so. And guess what? That person has one friend that they tell everything to and that per and so on. And it just kind of gets out there. And it's, it's hilarious how we don't think we're gossiping and it's, it's hard, man. You got some great information like that. You, you, you know, you got people you talk to, you want to share to, because in a sense you feel like 
man, if I don't tell this person stuff, do they think I I'm, I'm a, I lie to them or I keep other information from them? So I get the anxiety behind it. But don't act like just because you have that one friend, you're not participating in that. Another thing, lack of clear vision. I mean, are you sure you shouldn't work at the fire department? Because when you have a lack of vision, you are putting out fires everywhere you go. Uh, Everybody's not focused on the same thing. So everything becomes a crisis because there's not a clear path to where we're going. There's not a filter of everything we do goes through three different levers of it's either great customer service or great quality product or it's profitable. We're not doing it. You know, they don't have any of that kind of thing. So there's problems everywhere and you're constantly running to put fires out. Number four, celebrating people instead of values. And you're thinking, well, wait a second. I mean, don't we want to give recognition to everybody? I mean, I just talked a week or two ago about the huge disparity between companies knowing that recognition is important and employees saying it's not happening, but you got to reward the behavior, not the person. That's That's where the distinction lies can't just say, oh, Sally's awesome. Love Sally. Sally's just, oh, what a ray of sunshine Sally is. What you really want to say is what behaviors she does is what you're looking for. Because you think about the opposite. If you wanted to, like, let's say Sally's not a ray of sunshine and you had to correct Sally, how much mileage do you think you'd get out of it if you just said, Sally, you're a problem. Oh, why do you, you know, we don't like the way you, you are. You know, there's like nothing specified there rather than you want to really address the behavior, not attack the person. Well, that works both ways. So whether you're celebrating somebody or you're coaching somebody, don't attack the person and don't celebrate the person, but either reward or correct the behavior. And another one is failure to keep only the right people. In other words, you what you don't do what I call you slay the dragon, meaning there's that one person in your office. And typically that one person is, I mean, just a workhorse. There's huge productivity. And a lot of leaders don't want to get rid of that person because they're getting they're getting a lot done. And but they they bring so much drama and negativity to the team and they talk about it, all that stuff. And I gotta, you know, it's a gut check here. If you're allowing that person to stick around, who really is the leader? Is it you or that person? Because it doesn't look like your leader. I, I guarantee you that's exactly what your team is thinking is that you're not in charge. That person is in charge because they get to just do whatever they want. And then that leads into a whole discussion about level playing fields and, and what are the what are the parameters everybody should be following. And it, it's just a mess. So when you only you have a failure to keep the right people, the people who support your vision, your mission, your strategy, no matter how hard they work, they're not worth having around if they're taking away from that stuff. So as the leader, you know, no matter what you say, it's the actual things you do and how you respond to things. That's what they're looking at. You can say anything you want, but what you do day in and day out is what matters. So here's an article called The Trickle-Down Effect of Good and Bad Leadership by Jack Zanger and Joseph Falkman in 2016. This is in the Harvard Business Review. So one of the things they looked at was, and we instinctively know that emotions are con- contagious. So you know, research by UC San Diego's James Fowler and Harvard's Nicholas Christakis uh, has shown that happiness is contagious. Contagious. For example, if you have a friend who is happy, the probability of you being happier rises by 25%. I mean, we all know that, right? You hang around people, you start to 
act like they do, just like you kind of share their misery too. Um, Rose McDermott of Brown University found that the divorce is contagious. She concluded that if you have a close friend who's divorced, you are 33% more likely to split with your spouse. Now think about that. You didn't have any intentions of that, but your chances just went up 33%. Why? Because you're hanging out with somebody who's giving you information. Let's say you and your spouse have an argument about something or whatever. Well, now you're leaning on this friend who's like, oh, you got to get out. It's better on the outside and don't play. You get a total negative perspective because their relationship didn't work out. So we instinctively know that emotions are contagious, but that also works for your leadership skills because, I mean, they call it, emotional intelligence, right? Well, let's put two and two together. If emotions are contagious, so is your emotion intelligence level. So based on your leadership skills, assuming the fact that you're a positive people-focused leader, here's the top behaviors from most contagious to least contagious. So number one, developing yourself and others is the most contagious skill you can have. Technical skills, strategy skills, consideration and cooperation, integrity and honesty, global perspective, divisiveness, and results focused. So most contagious to least contagious. So you think about developing yourself and others, technical skills and strategy skills. Those are all team building exercises, every one of those. So if you're a positive leader and you have a lot of influence in the way you approach things, every one of those things is really about building your team whether it's an individual person, yourself, or them. And that's the most connective way you can do that. And you think about, it might be a little concerning that being results-focused is the least contagious for higher-level managers and leaders above you because what's the one thing they want? The job done. They want to see a profit margin, a sales growth, uh, all of that stuff. I'm sure without reading that article or just listening to what I'm saying, many of you are shaking your head in agreement. Ask anyone individually what they would like to see for, and hear from their respective leaders or leaders, and they will tell you the good behaviors, of course, even leaders that say that they are about their own leader, they wish they would do more of that. So developing yourself and others and developing technical skills and strategy skills, that's what everybody wants. So why are there still so many leaders without actual leadership skills? If you're like most leaders, you have many, many, many spinning plates. So many things to do, to check on, to ensure things are happening. You can't keep up with every little thing or interaction, but what can you do? What can you really influence with all that going on? Well, focus on some behaviors that guide your team just in a general direction. So I'm not talking about a specific thing. I'm, I'm talking about some of those most contagious behaviors. So think about this. How does your team interact with customers, verbal, nonverbal, do they overdeliver? Do they, I mean, how many times a customer call with a question and something's not right? They want to investigate this and that, and they don't live in the space of something's not right. A customer's not happy, something went wrong, and they go the other direction rather than because the customer's looking for help. How do we treat each other on the team? Handling that gossip or conflict, what is that resolution? What is known um, amongst your team and what they can do better, how they can communicate better? What is the level of ownership on your team? Not just the company, but the team, the world you live in. If, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you got a small operation, 20 people, something like that, even less. Well, that is the team, obviously, but a lot of us work for larger corporations so yeah, it's all well and good to talk about how great the company is and maybe the company's winning all kinds of awards or maybe even your division is, but if your immediate world, your team is not, 
that's a problem. And that's where you got to keep your focus. You can't just say, well, the company's great. The benefits are great. Well, if their day-to-day life is miserable, none of that really matters. So the question is, do you have renters or owners? The people who work on your team, are they just there to punch the clock and hit the road? Are they owners? And yes, you can be an owner and not be a workaholic. It's a mindset on you. Everybody, there's this debate going on and and, and a good one about your job doesn't identify you and, and who you work for isn't your identity. True. 100%. But how you show up in that role is. And the question is, are you a renter or are you an owner? So how does your your team treat the product or services? Are they 100% bought in? They just look at it like a bunch of stuff to shovel in and shovel out? Or do they honestly think about things? And this might sound kind of nerdy, but when you, if, if you're selling a product, you ever wonder where that product goes? I mean, you know, a customer bought it, all that. I get that. But What's the product or service doing to that person? How does it help their life? How does it help them solve a problem? How does it make their their day better? Are you involved in something in their personal life that that is a great event? You'll never see it, of course, but just that connection in how your product or service really helped them. How does your team handle what's out of their control? This is huge. And this is where you probably find most of your struggles. If your team struggles On an emotional intelligence level, things that stress them out, things that bring them to a grinding halt, a lot of those things have nothing to do with anything that they have control over. So, But do they use that to be excuse-driven, have some victimhood, or do they just accept it for what it is and slay it? When you walk in as a leader in the morning, you're looking at so many different things. Any one of those things could be wrong, could have a problem. And you should expect that. And yeah, that that sounds like a very negative or man, what a downer that I'm a leader here. You know, I've worked to this position where I I, I am in leading a group of people and all those things. And every day you're telling me I should walk in and expect problems. Yeah, you should. And it shouldn't knock you off your game. Then the better you get at problem solving, the better leader you're going to be. So here's the productivity killer question. Your team will go where you send them. So the question is, where are you sending them? And so oftentimes we only think about the work or the project or the end result of whatever it is you want. We hardly ever think about the behaviors of ourselves or the team's behavior. That's what sends them into a mental direction, what energizes the team or what shuts them down. What about time wasted on certain people you have on your team that shouldn't be and avoiding other people? If you don't handle those conflicts, you don't slay that dragon. How much do your people hold back? What lack of collaboration are you going to have? Do they hide in meeting? What great idea never comes out by the people actually touching the work? You know, that's where some of the best ideas in just about every company comes from is the people who are actually touching the work. Not even really the designers of it or mid or higher level managers who just think this is how it should happen or should be, but the people touching the work. And if you don't have that kind of environment, you're never going to hear from them. And what about being closed to giving feedback to managers? I'm talking about leading upward. Do you allow your people to lead upward to you as the leader? Are you that open? So all of these things are killing your productivity, I promise you. And you may say, well, I can't calculate that. I can't see it on a PL. You can feel it. And you can also feel success when you have that. Or maybe somebody on your team saved a ton of money, uh, found a problem. It could be anything. But if you don't have that kind of thing going on, it's going to kill your productivity. So I'm challenging you as a leader, where are you sending your team? So what about your focus as a leader? Have you ever thought about 
the time of your team in a behavior sense. I'm willing to bet that your biggest frustration as the leader is first having the time to get everything done. Of course, there's never enough time to get everything done. Everybody knows that. But a very close second is why do people on your team act the way they do? Where are you mentally sending them? Are you paying them to guess what they need from you or from each other or from whatever it is they're working on? I mean, think about that. Think about the people on your team, how much you're paying them, how much time they're working for you, your organization, your department, your company, whatever you want to call it. How much time are you paying them to just guess? on what's, what's, what needs to be done or how we're going to handle something. So let's talk about the daily grind for just a second. How does your team function in the heat of the battle or when there's no challenge to the team or to the work? Is the team reaching for more? Are they looking to win more? And you say, those are two different things. It's like, well, heat of the battle, nothing going on. Well, in the heat of the battle, they can shut down and give up, say there's just no use. Or when there's nothing going on, they're not being challenged. It's like a free day. You know, think about when you were in high school and it was toward the end of the semester and all you did was watch movies in class, that kind of stuff. Uh, was it a free day when we're not challenging people? So all of that is absolutely based on which way you actually lead your team. So answer these two questions. What if I asked your team, what is the most important three things to you? Goals, objectives, things you want your team to achieve. Could they tell me without thinking about it? Just simply answer the question. Hey, you work in marketing, you uh, work in sales, whatever it is, doesn't really matter, product development, pick your pick your department, but go to that, that one team as a leader and just ask them, hey, what are the three most important things to that leader? The second question is, and this is really a three-part question, but does your team know what winning looks like for them? Do they know without thinking if they're actually winning? So do they know what it looks like and do they know they actually are winning? But most importantly, do they know what they do day in and day out contributes to that winning? And if the answer is no, or maybe you're just not sure of the answer, you got some work to do, my fellow leader. They've got to know what's important because remember I talked about all those spinning plates before. You can't do all of them. There's going to be a finite amount of time, a finite, a finite amount of talent, all of that. You can't do all of them. So you, there's got to be a guiding compass for you and your team. So have you ever thought about just the power of your words, your reactions, your directions? Where does that lead your team? If the behaviors of your team bother you and you don't do anything about that, who's really in charge, them or you? You see, you're, you're instinctively telling me or telling yourself that you know what bothers you. But if it bothers you every day, you aren't doing anything about it. Who, who's really in charge? So if you believe that like, like Simon Sinek, that they're you're playing an infinite game that it just, you don't win and it's over. It's an ongoing process of development and you're on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And if you don't know what that is, you really got to check that out. It is a fantastic book, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. But the one thing you do have a finite amount of thing is time. So you can talk about all the, the different projects you want, but time is limited. You're only given so many people you can hire, so much bandwidth to get things done. So are you getting in your into your own way or is it just your words and reactions? Like I said, your team will go where you tell them to go or at least you think they're trying to go. But just for, just for a minute, even if you need to pause this podcast you know, and come back to it, think right now, what is the power of your words and directions for your team on a day in and day out basis? Think about 
you're walking in the office, you're walking in the facility, wherever you work, if you're remote, how you zoom in and zoom out. How does that look? What does that look like? How are, how, how is your demeanor? What are you asking about? How are you asking about it? It's pretty powerful when you think about it. And let me ask you this. Do you have the courage to look into what I call the execution mirror? Because that's looking back at yourself and what's really going on with your team starts with you. And if you're not exactly sure what that is, you can check that one out on, uh, if you want your team to succeed, stop correcting them. And I know that one sounds, that title just says, well, wait a minute, we need to stop correcting them. That one is all about focusing on the behaviors you want to see, because that is in direct relation to the finite amount of time you have with your people and the the time they have. So how are you going to spend that time chasing people down rabbit holes and constantly correcting behavior or doing shotgun accountability, which is something I hate. One person does one thing wrong, but everybody's getting the email to stop doing stuff. And 98% of them are like, I'm already not doing it. Why are you wasting my time? All of that, it's a finite amount of time. And you just wasted some more of it with people. So if you know your team isn't functioning together at the level that you really want or they should be working at, let me give you a challenge. And let me challenge you as the leader with a 30-day challenge of behavior change with your team. So first, why 30 days? Well, it's well known you need at least three weeks of repetition for a habit to become a behavior. And, and, and by, by behavior, I mean just instinctively just happens. That's just who you are. And since we're all overachievers, we'll go one extra week just to ensure we win. But second, you got to start today, not next week, not tomorrow, today. Get committed because I'm not asking you to learn something new here. And it's not about a technique or a product development thing or, or anything like that. I'm talking about how you show up as the leader, what you focus your team on. And I can promise you, it's going to kind of confuse them at first because you're trying to be somebody you haven't been in the past. You're going to get some some blowback. You're going to get like, is this person really like real? Are they really doing the thing? Like, wh- Why are they different? Tell them. Hey, I want us to focus on what 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 helps us win and and be a little different. So if you're going to affect change, you have to get started. So start today. Third, think of the leaders, uh, the think of the behaviors you want that drives your daily strategy that supports your mission statement and your vision for your team. You know, keep in mind your team is probably doing a lot of those things right. So you need to narrow it down just to where the gaps are. So make a list of no more than five behavior drivers that you know in your gut or what you've seen looking into the execution mirror that bothers you. And I mean it, no more than five. Three is ideal, but if you go beyond five, you're you're setting way too many goals. So just commit to focusing on these goals for 30 days. As Tony Robbins always says, where focus goes, energy flows. And that's 100% true. And your team has a finite amount of time to get there and get their work done. And so do you. So the question is, how are you going to spend that time? And as the leader, it's 100% up to you. Thank you so much for joining me for another show. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and start up your own discussions on the topic of the show. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show and check out the links in the show notes and give us a rating so we know how we're doing and five stars would be pretty sweet. So until next week, remember, you know you have to get work done with other people, but how you get done work with other people is entirely up to you.